Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Welcome one, welcome all. It is Tuesday, September 20th, 2022, 7 p.m. Central Time on the dot, which means it is time for a Blogging the Boys roundtable. You can watch us live on the Blogging the Boys YouTube channel. You can also catch the rewatch if you're lazy and caught up with work or life or whatever. You can listen to us on the Blogging the Boys podcast network. My name is Arjo Cho, and I say us because I am joined by a cast of quite the characters. We'll go in clockwise order as we usually do. Top middle, the 12 o'clock position. You can catch him on Friday nights refereeing high school football and then um, hitting the local tavern and singing karaoke. Shania Twain's Man, I Feel Like a Woman is his go-to. Tony Catalina, thank you for joining us here tonight. Paul Stewart off on the top right corner. Uh, you can hear him. Uh, you can hear and see these guys all over Blogging the Boys if it isn't obvious. You can hear Paul every Saturday on the Worlds team. He is, in fact, a citizen of the world. I think Paul has more stamps in his passport than any of us combined. Uh, so, Paul, thank you for being here tonight. Danny Phantom, the bottom right corner of your screen, the top left corner of the country. He does not like cheese, he told us in the chat. Dan refuses to eat cheese on any kind of food. So go figure there. Uh, the six o'clock position is held by David Howman. He of Blogging the Boys fame, one of the more astute writers around here. Howman, thank you for gracing us with your presence. Finally, bottom left quadrant even though there are six of us here the real mark lane is where you can find him on twitter mark where do you think the fake mark lane hangs out uh there's one in daytona beach there was also one that wrote a jfk conspiracy book entitled rush to judgment so that's why i have to establish my dominance as the real mark lane Right. Well, uh, none of us will be rushing to judgment um, about Dak Prescott and Cooper Rush and all that. All the puns kind of write themselves uh, when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys winning a game with Cooper Rush. Dan, um, they did it. The Cowboys did it. We have a lot to get to tonight. We will have a BTB roundtable champion, of course, as we always do. But uh, Cooper Rush, he shocked the world. Did you think it could happen, Danny Phantom? Oh, yeah. I, I thought it could happen. I mean, Cowboys are a good team. I I really wasn't, I wasn't freaking out after the week one loss. Uh, I think there, there's a lot of good things about this team. So, I mean, I wasn't expecting them to win, but I'm certainly not surprised that they, they did. So, yeah, I mean, uh, to me, it's like, I feel like everything is, seems normal. This nothing is a, nothing is a skew to me. So, yeah. Uh, Paul. Do you think Danny's lying? Like, like is there Cowboys out there who really thought that they could knock off the Cincinnati Bengals without Dak Prescott the way that they did? Um, yeah, I mean, when you look in the in the history, say it like so. You're a liar too, Paul. Interesting. Okay. Hey, come on, man. No, no, like when you look back and see what Cooper Rush did against the Minnesota Vikings last year, I mean, why not? Like, how could you not feel like he's now two for two now? So, I mean. He played really well, so I mean, I can I can understand where some fans was like having that being laid, like wasn't too sure that we've lost that Prescott, we've got Cooper Rush. The odds are not necessarily going to be on our favor, but we can still have enough to beat the Bengals. So yeah, pretty much I'm on with them on that one. Alman, um, you are somebody who like me believes in attributing some credit to Mike McCarthy. That's a bit of a, an unpopular thing to do uh, within the confines of Cowboys Nation. Would you say that was his finest hour, especially given the stakes um, that were surrounding him uh, with the season kind of falling apart in week two already? Um, I don't know if I'd necessarily go that far in saying it's his finest hour, but it was definitely one of his better ones, especially after just how bad the team looked all around last week against the Buccaneers. Um, to come out and do this against a team that was in the Super Bowl just last year um, and to do it the way that they did, you know, coming out strong. And then in the second half, when the Bengals started coming back, they didn't they didn't wilt away. They didn't fade under the pressure. They they kept it together. Trayvon Diggs came up, made a clutch tackle on third down. Cooper Rush got them in field goal range. And then Brett Maher, the prodigal son of the Dallas Cowboys, comes up and saves the day just as we all knew he would. Um, it, it really just felt like everything 
that, you know, last week everything went wrong for the Cowboys. This week everything went right and was just a really big moment, really needed moment for Mike McCarthy. Mm. Tony, we're about to get started with the actual roundtable topic. So points are now up for grabs. First of all, my baseball team won their division. Yours did not. Ha ha to you, Tony Catalina. Uh, but um, the actual first question for tonight, uh, kind of piggybacking off of what I just asked Halman, but who do we give the most credit to? For Sunday's win, we're going to go around the horn here. You can copy each other. Um, it's worth mentioning that if you prove somebody else to be wrong, maybe you steal their points. I don't know. But Tony Catalina, who do you give the most credit to for Sunday's Dallas Cowboys win over the Cincinnati Bengals? I feel like it's an easy answer. Um, I'm, I'm leaning towards Dan Quinn. I think the way he prepared that defense to come out there and you know put together two back-to-back good games against two quality offenses. I think they used Micah Parsons in a way that we've always envisioned and hoped that they would. Now he's sitting here after two weeks with four sacks leading the league in sacks, and I think they felt good about that matchup with him and Lil Collins. So I, I, if I could give it to the whole defensive unit, I would, but they understood the assignment knowing what it's going to take to kind of put this offense and this team on their back. And, and Joe Burrow and them coming off of a bad week themselves, I was of the – of the mind thinking that Joe Burrow was going to find a way to, to get right. I thought him and Jamar Chase were going to be able to exploit, not Trayvon Diggs, but just I just didn't think that they were going to have back-to-back good uh, bad weeks. And um, so all my credit goes to Dan Quinn and that defensive unit. Mark Lane, do you have a non-Dan Quinn answer? If so, who is it? If not, why is it Dan Quinn? I think John Fossil because the way that the special teams unit played against the Bengals, you had – Brian Anger had four punts inside the 20-yard line. You had Cavante Turpin with the 20-yard return. They were running some uh, punt block, not just to try to block punts, but to also, you know, get the punter a little anxious that would provide some of the returns for Turpin. They did a great job on kickoff return, and they really used the transition phase of the game to set up at the end the game-winning field goal. Also, you got to give credit to Brett Maher for hitting some clutch kicks, for not looking like his 2019 self. So I think John Fossil deserves some of the credit for the win over the Bengals. Got to be honest. Didn't see John Fossil coming up, and I kind of thought it was a joke. But, Mark, you made a compelling case. Danny Phantom, who gets the most credit for Sunday's win in your book? Well, I am going to piggyback a little bit off Tony, but I'm going to go more specific. and I'm going to give it to AD because I think the de- defensive line played outstanding. I really think that, I mean, those guys were rushing basically just four guys a lot of times, and they were basically, you know, forcing Burrow to beat them with, with seven defenders back there. So I just think that, I mean, you look at every single with Micah Parsons, Dorrance Armstrong, and, and, and um, Dante Fowler. I mean, just everybody was just coming at him. So just a fantastic job coaching on the defensive line. So I'm going with uh, with Aiden on that one. Okay, um, that's fair. Uh, all right, we have three different answers. David Halman, can you give us a fourth? I sure can, and it's going to be uh, a controversial. By the one way, David Halman picked up ten points for wearing a Blog and the Boys T-shirt. By the way, for the podcast audience, so shout out to Halman for uh, representing. But Halman, I'm sorry, continue. <laughs> Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and give the most credit to Kellen Moore. Um, and last week, last week, everybody was, was very critical of Kellen. Even Mike McCarthy said in his press conference, he's got to be smarter. Well, he did exactly that. He came out, he was smarter with the play calls. He had a very specific attack for not only to take advantage of this Bengals defense, but also to get Cooper rush in a good rhythm. They stuck to their run game, which, you know, is what they're built to do now. Uh, they spent all offseason trying to build themselves into more of a run-heavy team. They were able to stick to the run game. They didn't get cute with trick plays that went nowhere. Uh, they put Cooper Rush in situations where he had uh, really good passing lanes. He you know, had chemistry with Noah Brown, and they kept going back to him. Um, and it was just night and day in terms of the game that he called from last week to this week. It, you know, He emphasized all the strengths of this roster on the offense, the few that they have right now. And he helped negate the strengths of the Bengals, which is their interior defensive line that's been so disruptive. And they were they were able to to when they wanted to run up the middle, they did it. They mostly ran out to the edges and they had a lot of success with it. Um, Halman, there are a few comments that I want to throw up to you specifically because they're about you and your highly controversial answer. Um, <clears throat> Johnny Boy says minus 100 points. You only had 10. Um, so, you know, not mathematically possible. Frederick does chime in and says what minus points. Um 
JL Channel says Kellen Moore went conservative in the second half, um, though. And Ron Dedon says that they like your answer, uh, but Kellen Moore didn't win this game uh, compared to last week, but he did win for sure. I do agree with the like spirit of these comments. Do you like it kind of, and even with the point you made, it's, it kind of sounds like Kellen's like great job was kind of like staying out of the way and letting everybody else shine. Do you think that's fair? Um, you know, cause I kind of agree with everybody else a little bit more than I do with you. <laughs> well, I mean, the, your job as an offensive coordinator is to put your players in the best position to succeed. Um, so when you're down, your starting quarterback, um, you know, you're, you've got a rookie at left tackle who hasn't played it since, you know, almost a year ago, and you've got a starter at left guard making his first career start. Uh, receiver position is kind of a mess outside of CD Lamb. There's really only so much you can do. I hear the criticism that they went conservative and they didn't they didn't score another touchdown after those first two drives. Um, but keeping in mind, this offense really is not constructed to be the, the team 40-burger that they have been the last couple of years. Um, so I don't think that it's really realistic to see you know, scoring every drive or scoring touchdowns every quarter. Um, and that's that's just really falls back on the front office for how they built this offense or rather how they took it apart in the offseason. Um, I, I look at the job that Kellen did on uh, on Sunday against the Bengals, and I say he did what he had to do to get these guys to be successful. Mm. Um, okay, four people, four different answers, uh, including one defense of an answer. It's early here on the roundtable. Paul, um, do you have a fifth answer or are you going to copy one of these people? I have a different one. And okay, I all right. Everybody picked up yep. a point for creativity. Okay. Yes, so I am going to go with the offensive line and Joe Philbin. So the reason why I'm saying that is because that is, without a doubt, one of the best performances we've seen under the Joe Philbin era. Tyler Bayadish was phenomenal. That was, without a doubt, his best game, I thought. His block on Eli Apple to open the gap for uh, Tony Pollard for that 47-yard gain was absolutely outstanding. If you go back and watch the video, it's just just absolutely takes him out to the sideline. It's beautiful. You've also got Zach Martin on the one-yard line for the actual touchdown, completely decimating DJ Reader down to the ground. That was just sublime. So with that... Like, and even with the pass protection as well, like Tyler Smith uh, under 39 snaps, I think he only gave up one pressure. And just as a whole, uh, there was only one sack and four tackles for losses. So, and the most important thing of all, zero penalties. So, you know, I got to say, um, you all shocked me. Um, I'm a little. I'm a little speechless. I mean, this is a well-done effort by all you guys. Uh, congratulations. Well done early. Tony, what does it say that we went through the entire roundtable? You guys had five different answers and that nobody's answer to the question, which was who do you give the most credit to Sunday's win to? Nobody answered a player. No, Nobody picked Micah Parsons. No, I don't think anybody would have picked Cooper Rush, but there wasn't, there wasn't an obvious player. You all made very strong cases for different members of the staff, but I mean, is that a good thing? Is that like, I think the positive side is like, oh, it's a team. Yeah, team game, team win, whatever. But there is a negative, like there was no real bright shining force of a player. And that's kind of a problem in, in this particular game. Well, I wonder if we just come to expect what Michael Parsons does for himself. You know, I think for him to go out and get two sacks is almost like chalk at this point. But at the same mm. time, I think when you lose your starting quarterback and he's out for X amount of games, it doesn't matter if it's one, five, six, whatever it is it's a full team effort. I think everybody had to, you know, kind of pull themselves up and they had to rally around Cooper rush. And I think we did touch on every single unit, right? We had defense, offense, special teams. So it really was a full team effort to go out there and beat a quality Bengals football team. Mm. Uh, by the way, Paul Zachary awarded you five points for the dope dialect. You uh, incorporated the word sublime. I don't think anybody's ever done that um, here uh, on the round table, but we don't practice Santeria either. Um, so Dan, I saw you, um, pump your fist, uh, when, when Paul gave credit and gave flowers to Joe Philbin, uh, this takes us into our next topic. This might be the most controversial. I've seen just about all of you offer a take on Twitter about this. Um, Jerry Jones was on one Oh five, three, the fan on Tuesday. He, um, confused, uh, Noah Brown for Cedric Wilson, um, who hasn't been there. Um, but, um, he also included a very, very popular phrase when it comes to the Cowboys and that is position flex. So Dan, I start with you because Jerry said this about Jason Peters. What should the Cowboys do with him? 
when he's ready. We don't know when that's going to be. Jerry did intimate that it won't be next Monday night against the Giants. Uh, but Jason Peters, the options are seemingly left tackle, left guard, right tackle. So what do you do with Jason Peters, Danny Phantom, and why? Well, I think it's either left tackle or right tackle, depending on which one of those guys get hurt first. So I think he's your swing tackle. I think that Jason, okay. Jason Peters should not be starting for the Cowboys. And I want to start off. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, okay. Let's go. Go for it. I'm sorry, Danny. I'm, I'm just excited. You guys were all like nice and peaceful in the first hand. So I'm ready to see it, some, some is it that Is this that bold of a claim to uh, to say this? But I mean, first off, I want to, I owe the front office an apology for questioning their assessment of the offensive line. And uh, Tyler, Tyler Smith, has been fantastic. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I mean, I watched a lot of tape on him in the preseason at guard, and he didn't look very good. So, I mean, I, my worries, I feel, were, were valid then. But I've also watched a lot of tape of these last two games, and I am very impressed with him. And I, you all, you know what I think of Terrence Still. So, I mean, those guys to me, I don't, don't, don't mess with it. It's working. Don't mess with it. Here's the thing with Jason Peters. He gets hurt. You know, he, he, he has as, just as much availability as, as Tyron Smith has in the last several years. So just, like, you know, use him if you need him when he's fresh. Maybe it's down the stretch or something. Don't stick him in there and expect him to play 15-plus games or whatever and not be hurt. Uh, so, no, it's working. I mean, we're going to get McGovern back, you know, maybe after the week after next. Then, then the left guard situation's fine. Let the offensive line kind of just develop some cohesiveness. Don't mess with it. You know, I was wrong. It's not as bad as I thought. They're good. Let them be. Um, Dan, just uh, like we did with Halman, the, the commenters have had some some thoughts on on your take. Um, Johnny Boy RN said left tackle three times and stopped the silliness. Ron the Don said whoa, like I did. Zachary uh, said does think this is a hot take. So I wasn't the only one um, in that sense. Um, and Ron the Don is accusing you of sipping the Kool-Aid. We can kind of talk about this, like, you know, kind of feeling a little bit good about the way things are going uh, right now. Um, and I would I would kick – Mark, I'll kick it to you with this. Johnny Boyarin says, stop it, Danny. Luck is not validation on the mess they made. Farniak is a liability left guard. Peters goes to left tackle. Um, Mark, I'm personally of the mindset. Jason Peters left tackle, puts Tyus Smith at left guard. You make two positions a lot more comfortable than they kind of are right now. And no offense to Tyus Smith, the left tackle, but Mark, you always think about things in a very interesting way. Uh, what would you do with Jason Peters, um, who uh, you you know cover the Arkansas Razorbacks as well, so you know his um, his alma mater very well. It's it's just it's an interesting situation because Tyler Smith is playing real well. I don't think that. Terrence Steele is ever going to play bad enough that they're going to necessitate putting Jason Peters out there. I think a lot of what has happened is that Jerry Jones has just let fans in on the conversation that Will McClay, mm. Joe Philbin, Mike McCarthy had, and, you know, Stephen and Jerry had when they were bringing Peters in. Because one of the things that Philbin one of the things that Mike McCarthy actually got credit for in 2020 when they were undergoing all those changes on the offensive line due to injury was, oh, well, one time he started all five guards uh, in a game. And I also know that James Campen, who was the offensive line coach with the Packers throughout McCarthy's reign in Green Bay, he puts an emphasis on position flex as well. So I think a lot of this is just really a conversation, a brainstorming session about what they could do with Jason Peters. I don't think any of these things are concrete. If anything, if Tyler Smith starts to look a little Chaz Green, then they'll kick Jason Peters out there. And then I think a lot of the brainstorming of, well, what can we do with Jason Peters came in December when Tyron Smith supposedly gets back. So I think Jason Peters is just going to be the left tackle and all this talk of moving him inside the guard or kicking him out to right tackle is just from a brainstorming session that the brain trust had when acquiring him. Okay, so Mark, you're ultimately then left tackle. Right, that's where you're planting your flag for Jason. Left Peters. tackle, right. Yes, uh, left okay. tackle, right. 
Um, Tony Catalina, you were the person here, at least, who posited and you tweeted about this, um, you know, th- throwing out the idea of Jason Peters playing at right tackle. You hate Terrence Steele more than anybody else in the world. Um, so so has your opinion changed, Tony? Um, where, where would you like to play Jason Peters and why? I fundamentally pre- presented this as something that I was trying to read through the words of what Jerry Jones said. I don't think Jason Peters at right tackle is the answer. I don't necessarily think Terrence Steele needs to be replaced. I'm just simply laying out the fact that this wasn't even a thought until Jerry Jones mentioned it on the radio. We brought him in to play left tackle if either swing or start, and that was the only thing that's ever been discussed and debated on any of these networks or any of these shows. Uh, The fact that he said he got the flexibility to me coming off of Steele's performance of four penalties and the offensive line didn't look great in that first game was it just stemmed off of maybe like Mark said, him just brainstorming out loud what they've discussed or how they can kind of attack it. I am of the mind that I think Tyler Smith has has shown us some positive things. I think we know who our left tackle of the future is. I know it's Tyler Smith. But right now, they set him up to be the left guard of this football team for 2022. You didn't bring Jason Peters in to be an assistant offensive line coach like I tweeted to Dan. Like, I think Jason Peters, we know what the floor is. If we think this is the floor with Matt Farniark, the the third left guard out there, and we think this is functional and it's working, then what can Jason Peters kicking outside with his, his, you know, his age and his his stability and and Tyler Smith showing us some positive things on left guard? It could solidify the left side. And guess what? If Jason Peters isn't playing well and it isn't something that we love, we already know that there's a combination that worked. It's early enough in the season to try to get that to work. So I don't think we have to stick to this i don't think anybody loved connor mcgovern at left guard i don't know if anybody's loved matt farniak at left guard but i think we like the idea of tyler smith there because of what, how he's played so far okay so then your team left tackle just to get yeah. down to the, the brass tacks yep. right and left but tackle. you're also a team like i'm not married to that right you just want to date jason peters at left tackle yeah i don't need to marry him okay you're a married man happily so i mean you know why would you i mean you know hey you know Good, good for you, Tony Catalina. Great night for you. Um, Paul, um, there does my, – my own personal read, and Dan, I, this isn't a shot at you, but I think there's a lot of people who are like, the, the, the first two games have gone well, so why mess with a good thing? It's two games. It's two games, Paul, against, you know, 50 years that Jason Peters has been playing left tackle in the NFL, it feels like. But you were nodding along in agreement with Danny. So do you think that, that Jason Peters should now be relegated to swing tackle? Whatever he signed up to be, be damned? I would I would put play him at Jason play Jason Peters at his strength if he was to be put in like I I totally agree with the whole continuity side of things like if it's not broken then why change it like right as of right now because right now Smith is doing a really exceptional job at that position and he's going to be the future left tackle in the future when Tyron's retired or whatever in that so and for likes of um. There was the comment about the likes of Farniak and McGovern and stuff like that. Like for for the the eight reps that McGovern played in the Tampa Bay game, I thought he actually looked really quite good. He had a terrible preseason, as did Farniak, but I thought up to that point of that injury, I thought he looked all okay. And for Farniak to come in in the short space of time, I thought he's actually done a really decent job. People might think, oh, he's still the weakest link. You're you're probably right, but the matter of fact is, you're seeing that continuity grow week after week now like compared to the Bucks game compared to the Bengals game so when it comes to Jason Peters like I'm kind of in agreement it's like uh, if he was to go in then it would be left tackle then put a Smith back into left guard but I'm in no rush to do that um how many how much merit because there's obviously some but how much merit is there to the idea of look the plan was Tyler Smith that left guard like Tony said, the plan was not for Connor McGovern to be a starter on this team. The plan was not for Matt Farnock to be a starter on this team. Get back to the plan. You theoretically spent several months in the war room at the star putting together this plan. Why are you going to throw it away based off of two weeks worth of legitimate play that we'll all recognize? I mean, is that fair, Hellman? Or should the Cowboys ride the hot hand, um, so to speak, here with Tyler Smith at left tackle? Well, I think that... Um... I think there's definitely value in being able to say things haven't gone how we planned. And so we'll change our plan. There's, I think there's value in having a coaching staff in front office that knows when to deviate from what you planned. Um, But I would actually disagree with 
the sentiment that things have been going well so far. Oh, what a left turn. Let's go. I mean, the offensive line, don't get me wrong, has looked great in run blocking. They have looked pretty bad, in my view, in pass blocking, mostly coming from the left side. Through two games, Matt Farniak has allowed 12 pressures. That's more than the rest of this offensive line combined. He, he's great in run blocking. He actually ranks number two among all guards in run block win rate. He is a liability in pass protection so far. And I don't really want to you know rag on him too much because he was primarily playing center all offseason, and he really didn't get much play at the guard spots and wasn't really expecting to come in and play until he did last Sunday. Um, but he is not someone that should be part of your plan to be starting at left guard on a regular basis. As for Tyler Smith, he has looked good. He's he's looked better than I thought he would playing left tackle because he had a lot of weaknesses coming out of college at left tackle. I thought he was a more natural fit at left guard. Um, but he has not, in my, in my opinion, he's not looked good enough to outplay Jason Peters when he gets ready to play. Uh, in At least once in both games, he's had miscues where he hasn't uh, gotten the right guy and he's let a free rusher get to the quarterback. Um He's had issues of of getting all the way out there when the rusher uh, takes a more angled approach to the quarterback. Um, and those were things that we saw that he struggled with in college, which is why they wanted to put him in and left guard first, let him kind of mature his game. Um, so I think when Jason Peters is ready, you put him out there. We saw last year when he played with the Bears, uh, he still has it. He can still perform at a solid level. Uh, you put Tyler Smith at left guard. And then whatever, you know, with Connor McGovern, whenever he comes back, you kind of see where the rest of the offensive line is. But um, I, I think that's going to be by far their best route going forward. Um, Danny, I'll, I'll come back to you to finish this off because it's kind of it's kind of three of the, these three dudes, Mark, Tony, and Hellman, all of the mindset that Jason Peters should play left tackle. Paul was nodding strongly in agreement with you when you were making your case, but Paul kind of gave half a point to the other side. So it's kind of you and half of Paul. Uh, versus three guys in the other half of Paul. Um, so, Danny, you're the only one who's, like, completely convicted in the fact that Jason Peters should should kind of ride the bench. Has Have any of these guys changed your mind? No, no. I, actually, it just makes me feel wow, stronger. Job, I, I think uh, here, I, want, I want to point out a couple things. I want to say that, you know, we've, we're talking about what we know and, you know, and what we've seen. But let's, let's also entertain. First off, you know, Tony made a good point as far as let's – Let's see what else, you know, how maybe things could be better. And I think that's, that's fine. But, but here's the, here's, here's the situation is things could be worse. So we, we assume Jason Peters would be okay. And, and we're talking about how he's solid as, as, as Holman said. And, you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, he, okay. He's, he's solid, but he's actually not as, he's not as good as he was. And you can start to see that he's, he's a liability at times. So we, what if, what if Jason Peters is not very good? So we, we start to, we go, we get worse there. What if, um, Tyler Smith actually plays like Tyler Smith preseason left guard. Where what if he's holding, and what if he's struggling too? So there's so there's some element of unknowns that we know that, that actually could be worse. But here's the biggest reason why I don't want to mess with it is you take Tyler Smith out of left tackle. This guy is getting better with each rep. I mean, he could end up being reaching like you know towards borderline Pro Bowl level. To, towards the end of the year. I mean, if we if he keeps going, do not take that away from him. I mean, he, he's our future left tackle. We know Tyron Smith is, you know, his shelf life is is you know is almost up. So don't mess with that. I mean I, I don't I think there's there is something we could lose by messing with this. And that's that's Tyler Smith's development plus also inferior play by both of those guys at those positions. And, and this would be a different question if, if we had Farniok the whole year. I'm talking about one more game to get through with McGovern's coming back. So that's that's why I'm firmly set on um, just keeping the Peters at the swing. Um, I'm going to ask a question that I didn't have written down, but I'm just going to throw it out at this point. I mean, and I, it's a question I, I think about every day. Um, why, why are Josh Ball and, and Matt Waletsko on this roster? Like, why? Like we're sitting here talking about all these combat, and like, I'm not trying to be rude, but like, we're, we're, we're stretching ourselves, like, do this, play this guy. Well, like, the, the, the dudes who this team designated as the swing tackle options are not in any of our considerations for, for any of these opportunities, any of these jobs. Like, what, what are they serving on this roster, Mark? They're for the future, they're to give you <laughs> options for Terrence Steele whether or not you want to give him a contract extension or not. 
Tony, I mean, again, I'm not saying like, oh, they suck, cut them, you know, like banish them, you know, to Neptune. But like what again, like how is that not the biggest indictment of the thinking behind this group not necessarily being infallible? Yeah, I mean, it's very clear how this offensive line views their depth. We know that Matt Farniak, if Connor McGovern's going to end up being the starter, he's the starting left guard. We know that Farniak is that that swing guard that's got the position flex inside, and they view Tyler Smith as the backup left tackle has to be the starter. So now, in Dan's situation, Jason Peters is that guy. So where does Farniak, like, I mean, excuse me, where does Ball and Wiletsko fit in this situation? I think Wiletsko is trying to grind it out with his shoulder. I think he could have and seizing in and shoulder surgery if he ever decided to at any point in time so yeah i think mark is on you know is right on point there when he says it's going to be um it's about the future it's not about right now they've made a ton of moves to let us know they're thinking about the future and these are just two more of those exaggerations and half-truths aren't new in politics but now with ai people can create fake videos of candidates to sway your vote i'm former u.s attorney preet barara and i've teamed up with technology expert and law professor nita farahani on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, for a three-part miniseries, AI on Trial. Our second episode presents the hypothetical case of a hotly contested Senate race that is derailed when the leading candidate is accused of using AI to enhance his performance and hurt his opponent. How are we supposed to know when the technology becomes very difficult to validate something as truth or lies? Do existing laws, policies, and government agencies sufficiently safeguard the political process. Political speech is so tightly protected under First Amendment that it makes regulating in this space a real challenge. And what needs to happen to protect democracy in time for the real presidential election in November? When our elections are so close, where it comes down to nail-biting endings, a few voters here and there can really lead to differences in outcomes. The episode is out now. Search Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. Day on Monday, um, John Ridger was claimed by the Washington Commanders. Kevin suggests that the Cowboys should have cut ball and kept John Ridgeway. Do you agree with that assessment? Nope. No. I think wow. here's the thing. With, I think Ball and, and Waletsko, this is their first action they saw. You know, Ball didn't play last year, and, and, and Waletsko is a rookie. But I, I think that Ball was pretty disappointing. But well, let's go. Actually, showed some promise, and I think that it's it's nice to kind of keep these guys, you know, on the shelf and let them develop. This this is what you hope to happen with with these. That guys. wasn't these the plan, though. The the plan wasn't oh, these will be development years for these. Maybe it was for well, let's go. But the plan was Josh Ball is going to be the swing tackle, and now the dude that's who what, they brought in as an emergency is somebody that people don't even want to start. And Jason, no, Peters. that's what you thought the plan was. That's what I thought the plan was. It's not the plan. <laughs> Tyler Smith was the one. He, he was always the backup plan. If, if Tyler Smith was the plan, then why did he get no work at left tackle throughout camp up until the like you well, can't it can't none not all of this can be true. It, it just can't be. Like there has to have been a, a failure in the plan in some way along the path. I agree. I mean, I think I think I agree with you until I think and Tony touched on this and also Brian Broadus touched on this too. Is they wanted him to work inside, work on his hands because you know that's where the contact comes the quickest and that's where he had the problems with the hands. And I think that they developed it with the hands and then you just now you they're they're confident that he can he can play the tackle position and honestly those things that are said actually are have come true so i i'm not so sure their plan was bad i mean because these things are actually working out so i don't know i'm not critical of this i I think well let's go might be a, a nice swing tackle in the future for next year i mean give him give him some time josh ball we don't know i mean i as far as ridgeway he didn't do anything. I, I I don't miss him at all. He's, he, I mean, he, he, he was, he wasn't even, he wasn't on my roster. And uh, I, I think that he just needs more work and more development. So, I mean, I'd rather have the other the, the tackle guys than, than Ridgeway. So no, I don't have a problem with this move. Um, okay. I knew that would be controversial, but not as controversial as the next question. Tony, we're going to start with you on a scale of one to 10. How scared are you of the Philadelphia Eagles? I think there's a healthy amount of respect. I mean, I think they what? should there be. There is no respect. There's no. We, there's there, that is I know. one word that I've we will not that. allow here. I've said that before. <laughs> I said with all due disrespect about the Eagles. I, I'm very clear about that. But 
understanding that they're a quality football team, I'm I'm not hyping them like everybody else is. This is everybody's darling. If you put on any of the four-letter networks today, it's like Buffalo Bills and the Eagles in the Super Bowl. It's like, what made you say that? Because they both played last night. So it's just like, I think we need to pump the brakes. I think Minnesota is not as good as everybody thinks they are. We already know how Kirk Cousins is in prime time. He, he's terrible. You know, um, so it's, I think... I, I see more now I see more of what the Eagles look like against the Lions than what I saw from Minnesota. I think the Lions were able to put 35 points on them. They were able to give them a dogfight in that first week one. Uh, the, nothing Minnesota did on defense was really of a challenge to the Eagles, and they have enough talent to make you pay when you don't scheme and prepare well enough. So I think it was more of an indictment on Minnesota last night. So if I had to put a number on it, I would say – Six. I think I, I think the Eagles are competitive. I think they can really give us a run for our money, especially with the current situation we're in. But I'm but I'm pumping the brakes on the Eagles, and and I'm not as high on them as everybody else is. Mark seven because I you have to look at what incarnation of the Eagles is out there right now because really every NFL team will have three or four different versions that they'll show throughout the course of the season and maybe what shows up on October 16th at Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday night football is entirely different than what we have seen through the first two weeks but I think this incarnation of the Eagles is uh you know a seven out of ten on the anxiety uh scale but I know that Dan Quinn if he has his entire arsenal available will have the best plan that anyone else has ever seen when it comes to frustrating Jalen Hurts and he'll bring him down to Cooper Rush's level or to a broke thumb Dak Prescott's level and at that point it'll be a dog fight so I think 7 out of 10 it was always the Eagles that were going to challenge the Cowboys I think the Giants are more like how the Panthers were last year with their 2-0 start. So I, I think the Eagles are a 7 out of 10. But like I said, Paul, with a caveat, out of this incarnation right now, what sure. shows up October 16th might be different. Paul, I'll, I'll phrase the question a little bit differently for you. Um, and I'll change it for Danny and Common because that's how I want to do this. Um, what NFC team scares you more than the Eagles currently? Probably the Cardinals, I think. The Cardinals? Okay. Uh, okay, Paul. Yeah, just just, just, just on their offense. I don't know if that's what? that's more complimentary of the Cardinals or mean to the Eagles, um, but go ahead. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, I'm probably just name, name ball. I just for the sake of it, to be perfectly honest. But I don't really actually generally see anyone really, really proper stands out so far. I mean, we're only in a really week two right now, so it's really hard to kind of say. But uh, do you mind if I can give my score line? Like, of course. Of course. Of course. So I'm going to break it into two: one for offense and one for defense. So there's there's okay. my creativity on this. So I'm, I'm random. So you're calling here. out Mark and Tony for not being creative. I like this. Okay, go ahead, Paul. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. four, so four for the Eagles' uh, offense because I think our defense is just going to be like like um, Mark was saying about our defense. If Dan Quinn gets all, all his guys, I think that would be the main weapon, pretty much. So I'm giving the offense a four, but in terms of their defense, and this is purely because of their defensive line and of how they've stacked that up and the front what the defensive front seven essentially i'm giving them a seven okay that was really unique um especially the cardinals angle i didn't see that coming um Halman, both questions to you what nfc teams do you view as, as more scary than the eagles if any and uh, you don't have to go offense defense if you want but on one intense scale how scared are you are the eagles um well which nfc teams i'm more scared of um Almost all of them. I really don't think that the Eagles are <laughs> actually okay. that scary. Um, I was going to say my my number scale of 1 to 10, I was going to go with Jalen Hurts' number, 1. Um, I mean, last year, the Eagles made the playoffs because they were a team that played a lot of bad teams, beat bad teams, and then lost to good teams. 
And this year they have another really easy schedule. So I think they're making the playoffs. I think they're going to end up with a pretty respectable record. But they're also going to go most of the year without having played any real teams. And when they get to the playoffs, I think they're going to be one and done again. I think they're going to go up against a team that actually has talent, actually has skill, and they're going to get bounced. Um, you know, Jalen Hurts has shown improvement in these first two games over last year. But the offense, I, I'm still, I still don't think that this is an offense that can go up against some of the elite defenses in, in this game and actually succeed. We'll see how it comes when they go against the Cowboys, who look to have another really good defense. We'll see how it comes when they actually get the playoffs and have to play against the big boy teams. Um, but I, I, I don't think that they're, uh, they're a team that's going to be a legitimate threat. I don't think that they're going to um, really – I don't think that they're shifting the power balance of NFC East right now. They're just – they're lucky enough to have a pretty easy schedule. Um, okay, Danny, I'm amending the question just a bit for you. In case you're unaware, uh, Dan, um, DraftKings Sportsbook, our friends over at the Espionation NFL show, they have the Eagles as six and a half point favorites over the Commanders this week. I'm going to roll through their schedule, and I would like you to tell me when to stop. And, and you're, what you're trying to find is the game you believe the Eagles will be underdogs in. It's the game they won't be favored in. Again, they're favored about six and a half right now against Washington. So next week, um, they've got the Jaguars. I think we both think that they're going to be um, favorites in that game as well. The week after that, they're at Arizona. We know Paul's answer, but Dan, do you think um, the Eagles or, Car- or Cardinals will be favored in that matchup? Again, we're talking about favorite, not who you think is going to win. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to be dogs until we get to Green Bay. Okay, so then get, um, cut to the chase. Okay, so but that puts them through at Arizona, Dallas. You're saying the Cowboys will be underdogs, and they're on their bye. They get the Steelers at home, the Steagles matchup. I don't know if you guys know they used to be one team long time ago, a hundred years ago. Uh, anyway, um, and then um, and then after that, at Houston, Washington, at Indianapolis, Green Bay. You're saying they go all the way until Week 12 without being underdogs. That I do. That's the mark of a good team. Like we can sit here and say like they're not, but like you have to give them some credit in that sense. No offense, Talman, giving them absolutely not. But Danny, go ahead. No, you do. And I think, yeah, I'm surprised that you guys are still not coming around to this team. Uh, I mean, so I love the, this round table. I'm sorry. The, Danny, go thank you. So, I mean, I already have have been worried about the Eagles. They, they, they started at a seven for me. And uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, I predicted them to win the East. And uh, so here's the thing. They, they've, They've had a really good offseason, and you have to give the Eagles organization credit. I mean, with the, the trade for, you know, uh, A.J. Brown and, and, and the other trades for John Steve Garner, you know, Johnson, and, and they're bringing in really key free agents with uh, Hassan Reddick, and uh, they got uh, James Bradbury and, and a great draft with Jordan Davis and Kobe Dean. And, I mean, so I really think you just go down the list, and they have done a really good job improving their roster. So – the biggest issue with the Eagles for me and why they were only seven is because Jalen Hurts is a wild card to me. He's he's always been the wild card. However, I'm starting to think that this could be bad because he's starting to play well. So the Eagles have moved up to an eight for me. That's how concerned I am. I mean, if Jalen Hurts starts playing well with the weapons that the Eagles now have, like, you know, Devontae Smith, I mean, the list goes on. So this is a legitimate team. I mean, we should be worried. I don't think I think it's going to be a problem for the Cowboys to take to repeat as champions. And we will once again, not have a repeat a division winner in, in the East. So, so I'm very worried about Philadelphia. Um, okay. Uh, Tony, you went first and you had a lot of reactions to what everybody had to say. Um, who, who changed your mind the most, or rather who made you think the most of everybody's answer here? Um, I, I always, you know, me and Dan, we, we butt heads a little bit sometimes with some takes, but Dan always comes Wow, with... Dan, Tony said that you say <laughs> stupid stuff that he disagrees with, his exact you, words. You cut me off before I was going to say, Dan <laughs> comes with a lot of, you know, reason when he's, he doesn't just say things to say things. Um, But ultimately, I, I just think that the Eagles, like, yeah, they did do a lot of good things, but I think what Dan kind of touched on, I feel a little different about the quarterback situation. I listen he played he played last night i'm not going di- to i'm not going to say he didn't but i still need to see more from jalen hurts i mean there i just that's where it's going to come down to yes adrian brown's good devonta smith is good they have some weapons like the offensive line seems to be somewhat strong so my my thing is it's just it's going to come down to that quarterback and i just tony, ultimately don't believe in him yet tony i want to interrupt you um and we'll sure. go around here um who have you seen more from since the cowboys won at new england Jalen Hurts or Dak Prescott? Since that day, I mean, we're talking about 10-ish months ago, 
Who have you seen more from? Jalen Hurts. And I, look, I'm not saying Jalen Hurts is better than Dak Prescott, but you're He's saying I, I need to see more from him. We need to see more from Dak. Like it's yeah, it's but, been a long time. So go ahead, Tony. Who have we seen more from since the Cow since the walk off touchdown to CeeDee Lamb against the Patriots? But the the reason why everybody puts that as like the turning point is because of the injury. Yeah, like, but still, we didn't. And the sample size this season is incredibly small, but we didn't the, see it against the Bucks. The pr- the problem is the, the Buccaneers defense might be one of the best defenses in the league, if not right. So week one, I was already of the mind that they were going to struggle regardless, and that's exactly what they did. Now you saw with Cooper Rush, you know, he stalled out a little bit, but he was able to win a football game. I wonder if the Cowboys had their full allotment, how different that game would have looked. It probably, I mean, we wouldn't have been team forty burger. The offense would have looked a lot better, and I mean, it's just how it goes. Um, Jalen Hurts has he's developed, right? But is he is he at that point where I'm gonna put the Eagle as the NFC favorite? I don't think I am. I still respect the Buccaneers more. I think the Rams are gonna get it done if they have to. Um the Cardinals are not in my section, sorry, um, Paul. <laughs> but um, but ultimately, yeah, I think the Eagles are in that three to four teams that you could say have a chance, but but there are teams I would put over them. Mark, do you think and I'm not accusing anybody here of doing this, but do you think some Cowboys fans are are willing to to give Dak a pass or, or overlook certain things when it comes to Dak that they're not willing to do with Jalen Hurts, right? I need Jalen Hurts to prove it. I need I need Jalen Hurts to show me week to week he's a consistent pass from the NFL when we haven't seen that from this team's quarterback in almost a full year. Yes, because naturally, like anything, I think it's really a case of please tell me that Jalen Hurts isn't. And mm. I think that that's why that goes on. Because no one wants to acknowledge that there's another legitimate star quarterback in the division because, quite frankly, there hasn't been one. I would say throughout the entire Dak Prescott era, if the Eli Manning, well, you he could, was, you he could was argue a ghost Kirk of himself. at the beginning in Washington. Yeah, he was a ghost yeah. of himself. Then Carson Wentz never was, except for 2017. But other than that, he really wasn't. And then Washington, I mean, you know, Kirk Cousins, you talk about would you marry Jason Peters? I mean, Washington dated Kirk Cousins twice, and they couldn't put a ring on it. So, really, I think that's it is Dak Prescott has always been the man that has represented the NFC East way Aaron Rodgers has represented the NFC North. And so it's just a little anxiety-inducing to think that Dak has to battle for that title with an Eagles quarterback, no less. Do we believe that, though? Like, do we believe that Jalen Hurts is the best quarterback in this division? Because I don't. Like, I, I, no, is, I don't he think the best, is he the best non-Dak quarterback? Yes. Yeah, he's number two, but I think well, that's the question. That's I mean, like, that's what we're asking here. Like, obviously, we're all incredibly yeah. slanted. Like, you know, well, but... they, well I, I, you don't, if you asked anybody but Eagles fans, I think they would agree that Dak Prescott's the best quarterback in the I division. I think they would have agreed pro- Prior to the last two weeks, I think well, like the, the last two weeks have people thinking and contemplating. Well, the Eagles are the flavor of the month. You know that everybody's darling right now. I think so. I think the Eagle, their Eagles are a popular Twitter team. I agree with you, Tony. But Howman, I'm curious because Howman, you're deep in in football Twitter as well. The the like the take has been the Eagles are limited by Jalen Hurts. The Eagles are limited by Jalen Hurts as a passer. You put Dak Prescott on the Eagles, that's a Super Bowl team, right? We we're seeing at least in in an incredibly small sample size, admittedly, but we're seeing the necessary things, right? Like Jalen Hurts is, is doing what is seemingly the necessary thing to evolve that team as a whole. Is that not at least objectively true, Hellman? Well, he's looked good through these first two games, but I I would question how much stock he can actually put in that. Not because it's just two games, but because he's gone up against two pretty bad teams. I mean, the Lions last year had the second worst record in the entire NFL. And a lot of that was because their defense was pretty bad. That's one of the reasons they took Aiden Hutchinson was the second overall pick. They needed to beef up that defense. And they, you know, they had some moments of looking good uh, in both of their games so far this season, but they're definitely not there. And then watching the Vikings last night, I mean, the Vikings defense the last two years has been really, really bad. And that's what ultimately cost Mike Zimmer his job was because he was the defensive guy. He was supposed to at least – even if they weren't good, their defense was supposed to be elite, and for a long time it was. And in the last two years, it just all fell apart. And the defense, it's very clear, has not uh, fixed themselves since they got the new head coach in. Every single throw Hertz was was making last night was wide open, guys. Guy, there was nobody challenging the receivers. So I'm not saying that uh, you know Hertz hasn't shown that improvement or that it's not legitimate, but you know. The way I look at it, he's looked good against two teams that were really bad last year and so far haven't looked to make any significant improvements. 
Hellman, or Hellman, uh, Paul, is this the closest that any NFC East quarterback has ever been to Dak Prescott and what we're seeing in Jalen Hurts? Unfortunately, I would say so. I mean, everyone's made a really good point. Like, you, you could say, yeah, he is probably the best quarterback outside of that right now. But, yeah. Um, Danny, your thoughts on all of this? I mean, because you were higher on the Eagles than everybody. Do you feel like this was just another round of, of a bunch of Cowboys fans trying to lie to themselves or, or some of this fair? Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, Hellman makes good points about, I mean, there is a little bit of TBD to, that was still Mark, needs to Tony, happen. Paul, with, no good points from, from you guys. Just but, so but I want, I want to, I want to say this and, and I don't, I don't pander to the hosts very much. I mean, but I want to give you props when, you know, to deserve it. And I think you really pointed on something really important. I think this division is going to be won by the, the quarterback that plays better. And I know that Cowboy fans do not want to hear this, but unless Dak Prescott returns to being Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts, Eagles are going to are going to reign in the East. So, I mean, I don't think that Hurts is a better quarterback than Prescott, but I do think he's a better quarterback than him right now. And and, Dak and he's more well set up than Dak as far as and the he's team more, around and he, him. He, he, he doesn't have to be better than Dak to be better than Dak, so to speak. Dak yeah, is that, hurt right now, too. That he is hurt, but he's been hurt, and we we need Dak back, and we just we haven't seen that in a while. It's it's been a while, and I worry about that. And now we're gonna not only when Prescott comes back, we gotta worry now. How's his grip strength? You know, what's he gonna trust his? And I feel like his psyche. If you look at just the way he even played. You know, healthy on in week one, he was just like he almost like a rookie again. He was, he was just so indecisive, and so it's worrisome to me because I don't know what's going on with Prescott, and and I feel like it, until he gets back to what we're used to seeing or like he was early last year, it's going to make things a little bit worrisome for Cowboys because I mean, without that, the offense is going to go n- not as far as we hope, and that's going to be a problem. So I think you know I mentioned that Hurts is a wild card. Dak Prescott is now the wild card for the Dallas Cowboys, and, and I'm hoping that he returns, but I'm not fully convinced that's what's going to happen. Maybe, maybe it's an maybe it's an oversimplification for me to say this, but last year the Cowboys with you know C. Lamb, Amari Cooper, and Michael Gallup, and a, a somewhat okay offensive line was able to produce 12 wins and look good off and put up some statistical numbers. Now this year you got Dennis Houston and no Brownie thrown too with with C. D. Lamb within anymore. you know. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> One of the three main guys that was supposed to be Dak's guy didn't even make it past week two on this roster. Yeah, so, we but, can't blame but, that to me because look at what Cooper Rush did. I mean, I mean, Cooper, he just played solid, do do? and it was, it was he moved the ball and he scored two, he scored touchdowns. I mean, it's just solid. Okay, now, now, like Tony Pollard yeah. ripped, uh, uh, took a yeah. pass forty six yards. Like that's not Cooper Rush. That's I mean, a, yeah, that's okay. a, oh, yeah. Cooper Rush played better than Dak. Nobody's just going to debate that. Right? I mean, but, that, but look at the the opponent. I mean, if Cooper Rush against Tampa Bay, what do you think that would look like? Now, and my kind of wrap the whole point into this is, yeah. J- Jalen Hurts looks good because their offensive line is good and because they brought AJ Brown and Devontae Smith is in year two. The weapons are around him. So it's like, yeah, it's all about the quarterback. But why, when we talk about why these guys look good, it's always about the cast around them. I think it's always about I, the cast I, around them. I, this is my take. And I think this summarizes kind of everybody's point. I think we all agree that Dak Prescott is a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts. But I think we've reached a point where that isn't the only thing that matters anymore, given the way that Philadelphia has built their roster and given the way that Dallas, unfortunately, tore down their roster a little bit. So, like, if we go back to the, like, 1 to 10 thing, Jalen Hurts is is maybe a 6 out of 10. Dak might be an 8 out of 10. But Dak has to play to a 10 out of 10 level to mitigate for the losses around him that Jalen Hurts doesn't have. So a Jalen Hurts playing at a 6 out of 10 level may produce more than Dak playing at a 9 out of 10 level simply because of what's around him. That's why we're all so frustrated. That's why we're all so mad at this Cowboys team. Kudos to them that they they partly lucked and partly earned a win against the Cincinnati Bengals, but they have set Dak up to have to be all the much more greater than Jalen Hurts, which is difficult in general, more difficult given the injury that you pointed out, Hammond, and even more difficult given the fact that the players who he has to rely on are CeeDee Lamb, who has never been a true alpha number one wide receiver, and Michael Gallup, who we haven't seen come back from an injury either. There are just too many ifs that this is predicated on. They could all hit, but it is a very, very difficult thing to see happening in, in most likelihoods. That's my take, at least. What if I have the defense drag hurts down to Dak's level though and then beat him in a fist fight 
And that's I possible. That's the strategy that they have built this entire roster around is the defense basically being like the Showtime Lakers just hitting everybody and turning that into bringing the opposing quarterbacks down to the Cowboys level. Uh, Kevin has offered you five points, Mark. So um, congratulations to you. All right. Last thing, Tony jumped the gun uh, about Dennis Houston, who was waived on Tuesday. Um, no real explanation from the Cowboys. We won't hear from them uh, because they play on Monday night football. So we'll start to get the week started on Thursday. Um, the speculation from many people is that this is because the Cowboys feel that either Michael Gallup is in fact ready to roll or that Jalen Tolbert is now all of a sudden suited to be active on an NFL team that took him in the third round just a few months ago. Halman, what is your estimation as to why Dennis Houston was waived? And what do you make of this happening, given all of the pomp and circumstance that Dallas had surrounding him? Um, well, I think that simply put, you know, through two games, he has not produced. Um, they've thrown to him a, a number of times and he hasn't been able to get open. He hasn't been able to catch the ball. Um, and I think that Michael Gallup is probably nearing a return. There's been whispers in the Twitterverse that he might actually come back and play Monday, but that he'll be on a pitch count. Um, but I also think that uh, something that Bobby Belt tweeted was that this is more about wanting to see more from Simi Fihoka, that he gives them more value on special teams. They want to see what he can do on offense. Uh, he had a pretty good uh, training camp of preseason, and I've been a fan of him since they drafted him. I'm excited to see what he can do, but also Michael Gallup is – even if he doesn't play this week, he's getting closer every week. James Washington is soon going to be in the window to where he could start to return as well. Um, and then Noah Brown just had a big game too. So I think that this is mostly a case of guys are getting ready to come back. They want to see more from Fihoko. And Houston just hasn't actually done anything when he's had the opportunity in the regular season. Um, Paul, are you sad that Dennis Houston was waived? Nah, not at all. Wow. Jeez, Paul. He has a family. Uh, football's a business, so <laughs> it really is. It's a doggy dog world. So um, you take care of the scraps and bring in something that's better. So uh, wow. <laughs> You know what, Paul? Um, I respect a man who's honest. Um, Samuel, though, says Dennis Houston is prime Jerry Rice. So the Cowboys clearly making a huge mistake. Uh, Mark, uh, do you think the Cowboys will tell us what this means by way of an appearance on 105 through the fan at some point before Monday night's game? Oh, yeah, of course. But <laughs> I think that basically they released, they waived him because they're going to bring Houston back to the practice squad so that he's eligible to practice throughout the week leading up to the Giants. This also allows them to use him as a standard elevation for the game day roster so they can still use him. They've still got two of those remaining, or they could sign him to the active roster, but you know, I don't know that they'll do that. They still have Dennis Houston, so this is more of a procedural thing. I don't right. think that this is uh, and in Dennis Houston, you know, happy trails goes and and became a CFL all-star. Um, um, so, but it really is. Why did they do this? Is it because like, you know, for semi Fajoko, it doesn't mean Michael Gallup comes back or does it mean that they're going to give Jalen Tolbert a chance? Cause Steven Jones said on the fan on Monday that, Tolbert was working through some hamstring issues and that compromised his ability to get ready to go for the season. I don't, I don't know that they'll just throw Tolbert out there in, against the Giants. So it may mean Fajoko or Gallup. So, Danny, uh, many people have said over the last two weeks with Jalen Tolbert being inactive, um, the, the take has generally been some version of, well, if he can't be active when Michael Gallup's not there and when James Washington's not there, like what's what's going to happen when they're back? Like it's going to be all the more difficult for Jalen Tolbert to get on the field. So to Mark's point, the Dennis Houston thing could be just procedural. He could still play for them on, on, on Monday night against the Giants. There's still all the opportunity in the world for that to happen. But say he doesn't. Say, say he doesn't. And what if Jalen Tolbert is still inactive? Like, like, at what point do we start panic? I know this question's about Dennis Houston, but, like, at what point are we starting to actually legitimately panic about Jalen Tolbert being inactive throughout maybe the entire, you know, year that is his rookie season? 
I don't know at what point RJ would be the time. Um, I'm not going to panic. I mean, he's a rookie, and uh, I mean, there could be some things going on that we don't know about. I do think that this is a numbers game, and with you know, with Gallup's condition and with Tolbert's situation, I mean, you know, either one of those guys could be coming back real soon. Uh, Dennis Houston wasn't a, a difference maker. You know, John Ridgeway, Dennis Houston, and Nashawn Wright were the three guys that I left off of my 53-man roster, and that's two out of three. So I'm hoping for the hat trick, you know. Uh, but so I, I'm not I'm not too worried about you know Houston being gone, and I'm also just not I'm not going to um, read too much into it too and think that it has some other other meaning. So to me, it's it's kind of just a non-issue. I'm I'm, I'm hoping that it, you know, it means that one of our other receivers are closer, particularly Michael Gallup, closer to returning. And uh, you know who knows when when Jalen Tolbert gets out there, we may have a different feel about the kind of player he is. You know, come week nine. Um, Tony, are you at all panicked? Are you at all curious? Are you at all mad or upset? How do you feel? I guess I'm a little curious because they mentioned Simi Fahoko as a reason why Dennis Houston gets cut. Um, but if you look at the way the, the, the snap count broke down, Dennis Houston's the first one out there before Simi Fahoko, uh, week one, Simi Fahoko didn't even come in the game until Cooper Rush did. So it's, it's just fascinating to me that they're, you know, we want to see what Simi Fajoko, what was Simi Fajoko not available? Like you, you had him there, you could have played him, but Dennis Houston's the one in the huddle. So I, I understand Simi Fajoko is the type of dude that you obviously don't cut. He's got traits and they believe that he has a chance to be good, but it's just what the way they use the two of them just didn't make sense. Like I understand if Mark, you know, Mark says this is a procedural move and he ends up back on the Cowboys practice squad. I get it, but. But don't tell me or say here, like, oh, this move is because we want Simi Fajoko to get another chance because Simi, Simi was right there in uniform himself the whole time. They're peeing on your leg and telling you it's raining, Tony Catalina. Okay, last question uh, around the horn, and then it's time to hand out a winner. Uh, Ryan brings this up. No one has addressed the Dalton Schultz issue. Will Ferguson take over this week? This is kind of like a not big deal that would normally be a big deal, I feel like. One of the Cowboys' top offensive starters is – Potentially not going to play. We'll go clockwise order. Tony Catalina, one to ten, with ten being holy crap, smash the glass, press the panic button. One being on a beach, sipping my ties, toes in the sand. Um, how are you feeling about Dalton Schultz potentially not playing on Monday night? I think if this was any other year but this year, I'd have a little bit more of a um, be a little more chill about it. But right now, Dalton Schultz is one of our biggest like pass catching weapons. So him missing a game is. Uh, you know, I'm five or six, I guess, because I'm interested what Jake Ferguson can do. But outside of C.D. Lamb, Dalton Schultz was like the number two. So uh, it's a little concerning. Paul, one to ten. How much are you freaking out on Dalton Schultz? About six and a half, six point five. OK, <laughs> so it's a little bit more. I didn't you know, I didn't know decimals were an option. Um, all I, right. I, I'm, I'm making it happen. <laughs> You know what, Paul? You've been creative, if anything, um, here uh, on tonight's roundtable. Danny, uh, one to ten. Uh, I'm at a three. I mean, for starters, I'm not really worried about Schultz. I think he'll be back sooner than we think. And so also, I was very impressed with Ferguson. And also, we got a guy in the practice squad, you know, Sean McKeon, that is a good inline blocker. So I'm, I think they're going to be fine. I'm not, I'm not really worried about this at all. All of this major Eagles take so fascinating, Danny. Like, I feel like you were on, on opposite sides of so many things. That was such a great left turn. This is a fun roundtable. Uh, Halman, one to ten. I'm at a 10. Um, I think, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll modify it. I'll say I'm at a 10 if he actually misses time. Um, Dalton Schultz, uh, I, I have been a big Dalton Schultz fan, and I think he is just so crucial to this offense, the way that it runs, especially this year with their increase in, increase in use of 12 personnel. Um, I like Jake Ferguson. He's looked good, but he hasn't caught a pass in two games. And Peyton Hendershot also hasn't. Neither of them have been thrown to. Um, I going back to the last question about Dennis Houston, why they would do this now. I think if anything, it's so that they can have a roster spot to call Sean McEwen up because they might be light on tight ends. Mm. Um, but even then, you know, Sean McEwen, uh, has not really been much of a pass catcher in his time with Dallas to this point. So you're talking about someone who, um, was a huge part of this passing game last year and of guys that actually returned to this team, he's your second best receiving target after CD Lamb. Um, not having him against the two and out giants is would be a problem, and especially if he's out longer than that. Uh, Mark, good luck topping a 10. Yeah, five out of 10 because the giants 
although they are the top three blitzing team in the NFL, they've only generated three sacks to this point. Their yards per carry surrendered, I think, is about 4.9. So they may not need Dalton Schultz as much, but you have to remember that uh, Jerry referred to this as a short-term injury, and so his availability for the Giants is in question. It's a Monday night game, so you have an extra day to evaluate Dalton Schultz, and I think he'll be a game flight decision. I think on Sunday, when the team plane leaves, I think he's going to be declared questionable on Friday or when Saturday when the final injury report comes out. But on, he's going to be a game flight decision, mm-hmm. and they may leave him in Dallas on Sunday. So I think they'll play it down to the wire. And like I said, five out of ten. That's a good prediction. Um, all right, boys. Uh, time, you know, the time has come. Now, I do want to check in. Um, Tony, you have won a roundtable before, correct? Paul, you have won a roundtable before. Mark, you have won a roundtable before. Howman, you have definitely won a roundtable before. Um, I promise this wasn't just as a result of that. Tonight's roundtable winner, Danny Phantom. We have a crew of 100% winners here tonight. The final tally, last place was a tie between Mark and Paul. Uh, 29 points apiece. Good job, guys. Still, uh, you know, hey, you, you can't win them all. Uh, Howman and Tony, you tied for second at 30 points apiece, and that was with the help from the crowd. Danny, um, 31. You just edged it out by, by the hair on your chinny-chin-chin. I gave you points for that, for being on an island. You you were unafraid to kind of stand your ground by yourself tonight, um, although that was kind of true for all of you at different points in time. But, Danny, your thoughts, how are you feeling um, as the latest roundtable winner? Well, you know, I, I'm very, uh, very grateful because uh, I feel like I'm on an island a lot. And uh, I'm glad Survivor that... starts tomorrow, Dan, by the way. Survivor tomorrow. starts tomorrow, yeah. Congrats to Danny McRae, by the way. That's you know. right. Uh, Look yeah. at the synchronization here. But go ahead. But, but no, no, it's great. You know, it's, it's you guys were making great points and it was tough to uh, it's tough to really come come out ahead of all of you guys. All five, Who made the worst point all... and what was it? Oh, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um but no no it's, i feel like thank you i i uh now i'm one of you guys um yeah and uh, thanks for not punishing me for disagreeing with with everybody so um howman johnny boy would like to know that with the exception of the kellen moore comment at the beginning of the show that he thinks you were robbed um tony your thoughts on being a part of a crew like literally all of you has the round table like winner's room become less special now that everybody's in it I think it, it just got another uh, worthy opponent, another member to the club. So it's a good group to be a part of. Mm. Okay. Well, Tony, um, it is time to go. And I will tell you, look, Ron the Don said, well done, Dan. Now, Tony, rap. Look, again, I, <laughs> Tony, I've, I say this all the time. I am a man of the people. I am, I am merely the commenter's puppet. I am attached to their strings. So I dance as they say. They want you to rap. So send us home. With a rap, Tony. It's it can be a poem with a little bit of a beat. You can do this. We believe in I got nothing. I'm telling you. You can do nothing. it, Tony. Come on. We all believe. Um hey, I'm not I'm not B Rabbit. I don't gotta let me. <laughs> Tony, just give us anything that rhymes. Well, the One, bar is low. You're Brett Maher here. Just make an extra point. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. <laughs> <laughs>